Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business podcast from the Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Kirk LaPointe, Editor-in-Chief. I thought today what we'd take a look at is Bill Morneau's latest federal budget. Uh, he, re- he released it yesterday. And I've got uh, with me today two of our writers at BIV who uh, chronicled uh, the wide-ranging nature of this pre-election budget. Haley Wooden and Albert Van Sanford uh, join me. Um, let's talk, first of all, Haley, about in broad brushstrokes, what do you think the government was trying to achieve here? I think it was expected that we would see a pre-election budget. And I think it's fair to say that this was a pre-election budget. Lots of spending, $22.8 billion in new spending. But I think what people were looking for is maybe a sense of direction. How is the government going to steer the economy? What ideas are they putting forward? Should they be reelected in the fall? And it seems there's so many areas of focus. There isn't just one thing. It's not just about healthcare. It's not just about seniors or housing. It's a bit of a catch-all. So you don't see necessarily uh, a liberal vision for the economy and all of this? I wouldn't say so. At least that's not the sense I'm getting from some of the analysts and business leaders we've spoken to. Of course, from the business side of things, I think they were really looking for some measures and policies around competitiveness, Mm -hmm. around maybe diminishing that deficit. And I don't think we see that. In fact, there isn't a plan tabled right now to get rid of that deficit. No. Uh, Albert, uh, very clearly, too, uh, in pretty good times when you've got revenue gushing, governments will sometimes come in and say, okay, we're, we're going to cut some taxes here and there. Uh, we don't necessarily want to keep the revenue gushing. We want to put some of that money back into the pockets. There weren't any tax cuts in this, nor was there any focus on uh, working through the deficit issue in years to come. Why, why do you think that is? Um, I think the government thought it addressed the sort of competitiveness issues in the uh, fall economic update with the uh, changes to the capital cost allowance, allowing companies to expense equipment they buy within the first year. When I, I was talking to an uh, economist from UBC, Kevin Milligan, mm-hmm. and, and he he kind of uh, echoed the same thing, that the government thought they dealt with the, the competitive niche issue and that this budget wasn't going to really focus on this. Another interesting thing is uh, – just to sort of disagree with uh, Haley's perspective is um, I was talking to uh, a political scientist also from UBC, uh, Alan Tupper, and and he said that this was actually kind of a, a lackluster budget following other recent federal, um, federal election budgets that seemed to kind of toned down in an election year to showcase what they've done in previous years. So I thought that was a sort of interesting take that I, I wasn't really expecting because we know in the provinces, election years, budgets typically tend to have a lot of heft to them. Sure. It looked as though, uh, though it, I'll start with you on this one, Albert. It, it did look as if the Trudeau government was attempting to re-court the, uh, uh, some of the millennial vote and by, by doing a couple of things around home buying. In home, particular. home buying. I think the uh, the pharmacare plan is also a sort of throw to uh, to millennials and seniors and and seniors <laughs> yeah. for that matter. But uh, again, uh, what I uh, was trying to what I was having some trouble uh, parsing through this budget is what had been announced already and what was coming in the future because I believe we had heard some of these uh, housing rustlings before. the The pharmacare plan was definitely in last year's budget, mm-hmm. so uh, it. it it is confusing to me. I was, uh, to be honest, I was expecting a, a much flashier budget, mm-hmm. particularly given the election year, with 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 a lot more spending. Given the sort of government's past track re- record with uh, deficit spending and, and and not paying too much concern about balancing the budget. So, Haley, 
does Justin Trudeau and for that matter, Bill Marneau have a narrative, a good story to tell as we move toward the election campaign? Can they point to uh, strategic spending across the country and uh, tax reform that has uh, made things more equitable? Uh, those types of central principles that that will help them at least talk about their stewardship of the economy when we get into the campaign? I think they can. I think it's another question as to whether voters will believe them. They can certainly point to the fall economic update and say that they implemented some measures to address competitiveness, but I feel businesses would disagree that they only took just one step and that step didn't go further enough. I think when it comes to housing, again, some measures they can certainly point to. Also looking back a couple of years to the national housing strategy too. But again, at the voter level, I think there's still some concerns around affordability. It takes time, of course, for these policies to have an effect. But if you're looking back over the last couple of years, I think the stories that Canada benefited from a strong economy, you could argue who gets to take credit for that. I think they can point to that for sure. But I think there's some questions around what their own policies have yet to achieve. There is, after all, record low unemployment right now, at least in, in my lifetime. Um, and you can say that the Liberal government then will somehow try to grab credit for that. And I think it's an axiom that governments tend to get more blame and more credit uh, for for economic conditions. Yeah. Uh, you know, so so I think that you know we could probably put a bit of a discount on that one. That being said though, Albert, it, most people are pointing toward economic slowdown. Our country just experienced uh, a quarter of stagnation. Uh, you get two or three of those quarters and you begin to start using that R word uh, at some stage. Has anything in this budget made it more um, resilient as an economy if we start to face a bit of a global slowdown? Well, basically, most people are saying no. Most people are saying that this this budget hasn't put forward a, a sort of uh, framework or, or or pathway for the economy. With many people expecting uh, uh, low growth on the horizon, with the uh, the the budget is projecting that the uh, GDP goes below 2% for, I think, the next five years, which mm -hmm. is a situation we haven't been in for a while. It's a situation most countries aren't in other than, I, like, I know Japan's in it, but outside of that, there's, most people hover around that 2% mark. So uh, that is a concern that, that I know businesses have highlighted to, to me, and I know Haley as well. The uh, how How they change that going forward I, I don't know i don't i don't think they can unless they win the election they've sort of nailed it you know set it in stone haley the 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 focus on the deficit i think is uh, it's kind of a long standing one that we've had in this country and it i think it arose really back in the 80s when when we had a, a pretty serious economic issue um in terms of a recession uh is 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 the focus on the deficit you know, misplaced now? Is it, is it, does it matter as much as other indices? Hmm. That's interesting. And again, I would say that I think it depends on who you ask. If you ask someone who's looking for leadership from an investment and business perspective, and they choose to look at the deficit and say, you can't balance your books, how are businesses expected to follow your leadership? That might be very important. But I think it was also very important, and we've seen this provincially too, for the government to perhaps invest in social spending. So moving away from perhaps the traditional business indices that businesses and investors look to and looking more to affordability 
and healthcare. And I think that's ultimately what we saw. We we did sort of pre-election but uh, pre-budget coverage, sorry, last week, and uh, I was talking to some economists just about how we perceive uh, debt, not not only in this country but but ac- but across the world in the financial press and all that. And and the the quote that uh, he that stuck out to me was, "Government spending is somebody else's income. Somebody yeah. is earning that money." So it's. Like, of course, we got to watch the debt and, and, and economists like uh, Kevin Milligan will say we're at 0.7 or percent of GDP, I think was the number he gave yesterday, which is which is in his mind sustainable. But I think we sort of just need to have a broader, more comprehensive look at what government deficit means in the broader spectrum of the macro economy. But uh, and people like Kevin Milligan uh, will point to the uh, the indice of uh, debt to GDP or deficit to GDP De- yeah. deficit yeah deficit sorry deficit to GDP ratio and um, and what that really entails and and is that number uh, growing or or diminishing and to some degree you can say that the liberals have sustained this level and it might actually decrease a bit and for people like Milligan this actually is a is a, a very positive sign that actually we're on top of this that being said um, you're both of a generation that are going to inherit quite a lot of debt, <laughs> thanks to mine. And, uh, and 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 at some point, governments do run into maneuverability issues mm-hmm. with their balance book, without a balanced budget. And on that topic of heading toward a slowdown too, I mean, in theory, it's when times are good that you maybe make those steps to pay down debt. If we're heading into a period of time where we could perhaps benefit from a little more economic stimulus or different policies around that, to your point about maneuverability, there's even less of that potentially in the years ahead. I want to ask both of you, uh, I mean, it is, of course, a pre-election budget. I get that. But there's still a campaign to come. And the one thing that was absent was uh, from yesterday's budget was a new wave of infrastructure spending for transit projects, for bridges, for any any number of things that might you know, that might get a lot of jobs and shovels in the ground and that kind of thing. Are we going to find ourselves in the fall with a a kind of a competing narrative here between the liberals and the conservatives, the two parties with the greatest chance of forming government, of course, uh, where they will be trying to one up each other about the, the 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 kind of jobs they want to create, and therefore, you know, run up bigger bills for it. Well, I, we, I've talked about this uh, with you off, off mic uh, previously. I don't know how much uh, the creating jobs. Uh, mantra is going to work in this election just because we are at such low levels of unemployment and, and we're to the extent that we're even seeing labor shortages in certain sectors. I mean, build, uh, creating jobs is always a good campaign line. I think it'll always work. But my uh, my guess is that this election is going to focus a little bit away from that sort of, whether it be jobs and the economy general and big spending and moreover to... Um, to the sort of SNC Lavalin type things, political, uh, political, but wasn't, but wasn't that also a, a, a trapped in this context of job creation? Yeah, and protection that's true. That's abs- that, absolutely, uh, where, absolutely, you know, absolutely. That's that appears to have been the talking point that the mm. liberals have now doled out as a defense mm. uh, in their. But it doesn't their, seem to their, be really working. Strategy. Uh, no, not yet. Although, it, again, in, in, Quebec, it in Quebec, it's working, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, the SNC-Lavalin case, which, of course, uh, was obscured yesterday 
in the budget when the, you know the the justice committee decided it's not going to call any more witnesses right but hey a couple of hours later you've got <laughs> bill morneau on his feet we're delivering the budget let's try to forget about what happened in the morning uh, that being said uh the snc level in case is not really going away you, no. you can sort of you can see no, this no, one not. you know the the ceo gave a lengthy interview to the globe and mail and today he's he's pretty well doubling down on their position that they deserve to have the the negotiated settlement uh, that you know you're going to say you're going to have all of these Americans and foreigners running our engineering businesses if you don't help us out here, and and so it is is job protection, and I hate to compare Justin Trudeau to Donald Trump, but is job protection and protectionism going to be a theme? You think Haley that the Liberals can play in this election? I think it could be. I think we certainly saw a lot of focus paid to skills training and money for individuals who, if you find yourself without a job, you have some protection there. They focus a lot on the new economy and innovation and technology. So if we're looking at sort of the different kinds of jobs, the liberals have focused more on this economy 2.0. I think there's room for a debate. Have you guys figured out how you're going to spend your 250 bucks a year on uh, <laughs> on like retraining, retooling for the new economy? You, you got TBD. that? Got that word? <laughs> Video journalism, I don't know. Uh, VR. Yeah, we should go to a VR course. I've got a couple sure. AI I've got a, programming. <laughs> I just want to. I want you to know. I, I've got a couple of years left in the plan. I, I, I think. Yeah, I, you never know what I'm going to be retrained into. But no, it, it, there was um, there was also this other. Uh, theme that kind of coursed through this thing, which was, um, and it, it, again, I get back to the millennials, uh, the idea that uh, there is, um, that, that home ownership remains a principle of our society. Mm-hmm. That in, in that you, you know, we have, we meaning taxpayers, have to help people get into the housing market and all of this. It, it, I think people are scratching their heads about this one today. And I think understandably, I think there are perhaps some mixed signals here. We had mortgage stress tests come into effect to ensure in some way that individuals who could not necessarily afford a certain size of mortgage would not get that certain size of mortgage or they'd have to have insurance on what they do borrow. And now we have the CMHC perhaps taking equity stakes Mm -hmm. on behalf of these individuals who could not afford a 20% down payment. So if you're stressed, we don't want you to own a home. But if you're stressed... We're going to help you own a home, and we'll we'll own part of it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but but they are attacking different things, right? It's it's lowering the value that that you could get an insured mortgage on, or, That's right. right? And then they're helping fund it. But uh, on the real uh, uh, real estate uh, measures, it, it it is interesting on on the efficacy of these things. A- Andrew Jackson, an economist, a left wing economist with the with the Broadbent Institute, uh, highlighted that. Um, Increasing demand raises prices, so relaxed mm. mortgage rules will hurt. Uh, will hurt, not help uh, housing affordability. He said, and raising household debt, bad budget idea. That 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 was his quote. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, it's um, it's it's uh, it's a holistic thing. It's it's connected to other thing, uh, other aspects of the economy, and it, it's just the housing issues that we're facing are not going to be a quick fix, whether it's the spec tax here in BC, whether it's these mortgage rules, it's it's going to create a more systemic, structural, holistic approach to this problem. But don't you believe that uh, you can see both at the federal and provincial levels, governments recognizing that 
they uh, and and you know it's not necessarily the NDP's issue, but that the issues themselves were taken too lightly for too long, but that their response now is kind of scrambly. It's not. It, it isn't holistic and systemic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's uh, spot here, spot there, target here, target there. Uh, let's you know, it, it, there's almost a sense of some desperation about these measures. Because they can't do too much either, right? right. It, it, it's kind of like the, it, uh, I'll analogize it to the minimum wage. If if you hold off increasing the minimum wage for five years, 10 years, that doesn't mean in one year you can make up all that ground because that's going to have other external effects. We We should have been addressing this problem all the way through. We can't go back in time that that just makes the problem harder to solve. And this scrambliness patchwork system is, is going to cause some issues that unintended consequences. What I wonder about though, Haley, is whether uh, the public's expectation level around housing has gotten so wildly surreal yeah. that, uh, <laughs> that, that in, in a sense, no matter what uh, ensues out of these measures is going to largely uh, be disappointing to people. I think that's a fair comment. I think it's difficult to know what to expect. We've had so many demand side measures take effect at really all levels of government, a lot of them very reactive. That's caused some uncertainty. We've seen prices react, sales metrics react as well. I think there's a lot of uncertainty for someone who maybe doesn't follow the market that closely. What does this mean? Are prices going to collapse? Because you could find a lot of articles out there that will say, just hang on six months and you'll get a bargain. You can turn somewhere else and people will say, no, this is a blip and you know the value of a home will continue to appreciate and it's a good long-term investment. I think it's hard to know exactly what's happening. And when it comes to supply too, again, it takes a long time to get more supply to market and a lot of the supply that's coming online, at least in Greater Vancouver, is already bought. And, right. and voters have competing goals, right? Parents want their kids to be able to get into the market and afford a home, which means lowering prices but they don't want their own home value to be lowered and affect their retirement. So it's, again, it goes back to whatever we do is going to have some unintended consequences and we, and we just need to be ready for that. Yeah. Uh, last area that I, I, I thought I'd explore and, and it kind of fits in with what happened last week with the provincial budget too. Uh, I'm, I'm looking for another phase of prosperity that's going to emerge in Canada. And I'm wondering whether these two governments or these two budgets that we've seen in the last week um, offer that in any way to Canadians uh, and British Columbians. It's a it's a big area to explore, but I want to get your thoughts about whether you, you're seeing in all of this. We talked at the start of our conversation about you know, the vision, perhaps lacking in all of this. But when you when you assemble all the pieces of the of the liberal budgets and economic statements. When you assemble now the NDP budgets uh, and their economic updates, are we starting to see any kind of understanding of what governments intend to do in order to fuel prosperity, or are they, are they, you know, or are we just getting a lot of patchwork uh, support systems, and it's still going to be left to something else to generate this next phase? Who, do you want to, who wants to start with that one? I think you're right. Your assessment, I think, is correct. It's definitely a patchwork solution. And I think that sort of uh, not only Canada, but but the world getting over some of the economic assumptions we've had for the past two, three decades that that we now understand to not necessarily be totally wrong, but weren't exactly accurate in the way we thought. 
And I don't think economic thinking has has caught up to that reality. And that's why we're still seeing these these patchwork uh, solution. We I, I don't know I don't know how to change that. I'm I'm just a journalist, yeah. but uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's definitely a, a, a dynamic that's present in the economy. Provincially, I think we've seen the government latch on to this idea that LNG Canada is going to be responsible for mm-hmm. some economic growth in the years ahead and might replace some of what we lose in the real estate sector. Whether that leads to additional investments and all these spill-off effects, I think, is to be determined. Federally, when I read the budget and as I piece it together, I get kind of a sense of caution. What we're seeing is helping people afford a home today, giving people funds to retrain their skills for jobs tomorrow that may not the jobs they have today may no longer exist in that future, making sure that vulnerable citizens, seniors have funds. I don't get the sense that we're heading to a new era of prosperity. But one thing I will point to is potentially this innovation and technological sector and putting in place some infrastructure and funding so that individuals can participate in that. So what, the the supercluster strategy across the country? Is that that an element of this that yeah. seems patchworky too doesn't mm-hmm. it i mean it has a lot of the same patchwork aspects it's like well we're going to try and serve each region of the country by putting one here one here and one there and and it just doesn't it it it, it doesn't seem to go along with a, a, a cohesive idea of where the economy is in many ways though the federal government they're, they're always going to have a patchwork to yeah, deal well, with because I, on one hand they're advocating for mm-hmm. a clean new innovative economy on the other hand <laughs> they're trying to support a resources sector yeah. that has been very important to the growth of our economy over the long term and the growth of 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 middle class wages and of our middle class There's that's that reconciliation real, that's really what was the driver of it well okay then then uh, let's not leave the conversation without yeah, at least having a brief mention, are we going to get this pipeline built? <laughs> I don't know. Barring another court. Like, that's the, that's the thing. It's, it's things keep popping up with it. It's the, it's the never ending uh, story. It, um, do you think it matters to the Trudeau government electorally that it no, does? Get- that I don't think so. <clears throat> they had four seats in Alberta that they shouldn't have won in the first place. Uh, they're going to lose them again. It's Alberta is not their stronghold, and and be, they're going to what they lose in Alberta for not getting the pipeline built is is what a third of what they're going to lose in BC for trying to get it built. Mm. So I, electorally, I don't know. I, I don't know what it means in Ontario either. I don't think people out east are, are paying attention as much to the pipeline. So electorally. I think his electoral calculation is if this pipeline doesn't go through, it'll be worse for the broader economy, and that's when the electorate will start to take notice. Hmm. Without having a decision, I think that's almost the best place to be because they can still maintain that they're going to get it built, and they can still say, but we're going to get the process right, and they can try and appease as many different groups as they can. As soon as we start to see it built, you're going to alienate part of the population, particularly out west. If we see a decision that's not going to be built, I mean, that's a whole other issue. And, and the people, the, the voters on the left side of the spectrum who want it built, my guess is they're going to give credit to to Notley for this over Trudeau. And if they're provincial NDP voters in Alberta, maybe they put their support behind uh, a, a, an unlikely MP candidate for the NDP in Alberta. Hmm. Well, 
we're going to get at least a verdict of, about Alberta in the <laughs> next month. Mm-hmm. So we'll we'll understand that. That was just announced too. It's and a we'll busy see, news week. And we'll see another and we'll see the verdict uh, on the on the Liberal government this fall. Thanks both Haley and Albert. Good talking to you. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Thanks a lot for listening to BIV today. I'm Kirk LaPointe. We'll see you next time. 